Hello and welcome to Discussing Documentaries. And this is our first of the Cult Classic Month episodes. And today's episode is Going Clear and the Prison of Belief. It's all about Scientology. And it is what the Americans would call a doozy. This is Scientology. <laughs> Sorry, I love it when you go, this is what other people call a thing that you've never known them to associate with that thing. I don't know what a doozy is. Um, this one is Scientology, Going Clear and the Prison of Belief. It's from the year 2015. I got it from Sky Documentaries and the director was Alex Gibney, who also wrote it and narrated it. So triple pay for him guarantee he's taking a lot of shit right now (laughs) (laughs) he's got a lot of people outside his door he's a squirrel i've never (laughs) heard one uh the money listen to the money here rick two hundred and thirty thousand one hundred and ninety four dollars that's pennies isn't it that's how much it made worldwide gross that's scary. Yeah. That is no money at all. But that's only if you buy level one of this documentary. <laughs> if you once you then get into it, oh, very good. It actually, they would have made more. Very good. Uh, so, and the reason why I was surprised by that is because listen to the accolades. Now, I knew listing out the accolades one day would pay off, and today is the day. So, listen to this. It got three Emmys. That's for the documentary, the writing, and the directing, so well done, Alex Gibney. And that's quite a haul, right? Three Emmys. It got four other awards, including a Peabody. We all know, right? That is quite the achievement, the Peabody. They've been around since 1941. And it had 31 various other nominations. 31. This is hands down, I think, the most nominated show we've ever watched. Now, let me give you the blurb because this doesn't even touch on it. Profiling the lives of eight former members of the Church of Scientology and exploring its history and rise in popularity. My God, were they off the mark. Now, for regular listeners of the show, you'll know that I'm quite susceptible. I'm quite weak minded and I'll buy into any nonsense. I got to be honest, watching this, I just thought, thank fuck that, that I get to coax Matt through this because he, I know he's going to be sat there in a room with a fucking tramadol hanging off his lips oh, mate. saying, my thetan levels are causing me to do this. It took me two days to watch this. Um, I was I kept jumping out onto Wikipedia and then I kept trying to avoid Wikipedia and the internet. So this was clearly chosen by Rick, because I would have never have chosen this. I spent the whole time watching this in a reasonable state of fear. So, cheers, Rick. Uh, why did you pick this one, dickhead? <laughs> what? Earlier on, I did say there's a chance that Kate Nash might listen to the Kate Nash episode. <laughs> I think I, I, I think there's definitely a chance of Scientologists might check this out. Well, when we this recorded is... uh, the Icarus episode, all about and it, that covers puting, I wasn't that worried. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about science because governments, cause, I'll go up against the government. I don't know if I want to go up against a load of religious nutjobs. 
because that's that's what they are right it's there it is a fascinating especially since we're doing cults this month we're kind yeah. of starting with the successful one because it is beyond all belief a hell of a success is scientology my god yes this is yeah and of all the Scientology documentaries, I don't like to speak elephant, but I didn't think Louis Theroux's one was very good because he didn't get the interviews or the footage he kind of needed. Um, but he did put across that sense of paranoia that he felt when he made it. Oh, yeah, they were tracking them down yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, um, And I remember that's... I haven't seen much Louis Theroux, believe it or not, as much as I love documentaries. But oh, I've, give it a while. I've seen that one and I, I, I thought it was great. And this one, as scary as it was, it ticked a load of boxes. So, first of all, just give me this, Rick. Did I ever tell you I saw Louis Theroux? He's the only guy I've ever been starstruck by. Carry on. You had me at Uh, Louis and I saw... I was was heading down, I think it would have been... Now, I would have been coming back into London. So, I was getting off at Clapham, got off, and I was going up the stairs at Clapham Junction, and I recognised the walk. I'm like, that's fucking Louis Theroux right there. <laughs> what, were you behind him? I, and went, I know that I, walk. Yeah, yeah. So like, I was oh my, and that was the first time I was like, <gasps> and I've I've seen some people that like are kind of my heroes. I've not, I've just been like cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, but I swear to God, Louis Theroux, I wasn't because what I really want to do is to walk <laughs> alongside him and just start talking about my life as if he was into me. <laughs> It's funny that you find me at this juncture, Louis, because as you know. <laughs> Just want to walk past go, yeah, I think it's good to stay in, in touch with the common man. I still use public transport, things like that, even though the, the success of the podcast about documentaries. But, um, but yeah, yeah, only guy I've ever. Sorry we turned you down for that gig, Louis. We're really sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> is he quite tall? He seems like a tall man. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, at least. Oh, he's tall, tall. But he... he he was always a couple of steps above us on the stairs, though, so it was difficult to, to gauge it. I never quite caught up with him. It was almost rush hour-ish, but yeah. Fair play that he could run upstairs as well. That's that's not bad. Well, I, I, I know, like... <laughs> Go uh, away, I, I, you weird like, Geordie! <laughs> there's, there's, there's a guy, Lake Palmer, who's one of my documentary heroes that I'm desperate to ask him about, but I was just like, oh, I can't just go <laughs> ask him about a guy who was on his Thai Brides episode and what he was of like. Of course you can. No, you can't, man. You've got to let these people live their lives. I've never a get a selfie with someone, but I, I did want to. Uh, I did want to uh, exchange with them in some way, but I didn't. I, I couldn't. Well, I will tell you what. Why don't we state this? We need a goal, and the year is twenty twenty one. Let's state the goal that we're going to at least invite Louis Farouk on one of the episodes when we look at one of his documentaries as an interview. Wow. Let's try and interview Louis Farouk. That's our goal for 2021. There you go. We've got our first goal. My level of cool is going to fall through the floor on that one. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Because to me, he's the middle class version of Ross Kemp. Uh, I I think he's the best. I think think I'd feel comfortable with Louis Theroux. Uh, Like, I would happily vote for a politician if they would have Louis Theroux follow him around for a year. Just if if David... Just if David Cameron had Louis Theroux going, uh, David, do you think uh, letting these people vote on this is a particularly great idea? <laughs> That's brilliant. That's a brilliant idea. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that would be the... Clar- I mean, don't get me wrong, he hung out with Jimmy Savile and didn't find out much, but unless you catch him doing what he's doing, it's Yeah, difficult. absolutely. Like, he caught, there's a few dark, episodes, dark scenes in that one, but we need to get back to what may potentially destroy our lives as squirrels and talking about yes we do going clear the def- the definitive documentary on 
Scientology. I, I just need to close the loop on Louis Farouk. I got stick over the Where to Invade next episode because we didn't mention Louis Farouk, who I've been informed trained under Michael Moore. Did he train under him? Apparently so. I haven't checked any of that out because people on the internet are a bit weird. But my mate Sarah, who who is completely not weird, uh, yeah, she, she was telling me of that. So um, I, I'm going to have to explore that now. That's some weird Jedi temple of how to sit in a room with a dictator and drink his tea and ask him, why is he doing what he's doing? <laughs> Just like Shaolin monks. <laughs> they must never see the boom, Mike. <laughs> ask the difficult question, Louis. The difficult question. Ask for a cup of tea, then ask if they attacked the woman in the hotel room. And always be sarcastic, but don't let them see that. So, Scientology, Going Clear, and The Prison of Belief. Rick, give me your blurb, because I think the blurb that they put up for the show, the, the movie on Sky, I think it's missed most of the points. Well, there's so, there's so much, like, fruit on this one. I would say this is the definitive documentary on it. It's, it's an oversight. It's, like, it shows you everything kind of briefly as well because there is so much i've been listening to other podcasts one of the podcasts i will source in this one is the behind the bastards episodes who have done six hours on l ron hubbard alone never mind the other people uh so for for a more deep dive into that guy that is an excellent podcast to check out but there is just so much that they've done and so brazen and and again successful with again being allowed to operate within mainstream and things like that it is just fascinating fascinating and it's it because before that the only thing i really knew about scientology was a few south park episodes yes because there wasn't chef isaac hayes he was a scientologist wasn't he yes and he left during the tom cruise's trapped in the closet episode right so he flipped out and i like from watching this documentary i imagine they knocked on his door and went trey parker and Mastone are now suppressive people yeah. and you must disconnect so so he then left, and then what they did with the Return of the Chef episodes of uh, how they got Chef written off South Park was hilarious because they literally tanked their own episode to... Uh, they just cut in things that Chef had said in the past and made a story of him joining a fruity boys club that had sex with children around the world, taking the piss out of Scientology. It is it's one of the funniest things, and you know that Chef's not doing the voice. It's just him going, oh, no, children, and then it pause and yes, <laughs> like it's just edited. It's really fucking excellent what they did with it. It's, it's brilliant. So let me give my overview of Scientology, and this is just a few bullet points. It was set up by a writer called L. Ron Hubbard, and the documentary covers the people who join it a few different levels in the of the organization how it's run now some of the tactics they use to find members and to keep their members in essence that's it right because there's a great bit at the end of the documentary where they say other religions you can sum up that religion in a sentence or two or just mainly a sentence you cannot do that with Scientology you have to be in there eight to ten years to go this is what Scientology is it's it's a tiered system. And quickly, before we jump just solely into the document, because like I say, there is so much. This is probably going to be a two-parter, this, us discussing this, because there is a lot, even odd and off, to talk about. So we'll see how we do for time with it. But when I was in Southampton, I got one of their personality tests through the door. What? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, I think they have like a center in Southampton when I was living in Southampton. And the personality tests, they all start off interesting questions like, do you, do you ever crack wise to feel comfortable in front of people? Like all kind of open-ended questions that everyone can kind of relate to. And I'll never forget because I was going to do it as a bit of material, but I just never bothered uh, bringing it on stage with us because I wanted to do it as compare and I wanted to ask people the questions in the test. And then right. you get to like question, but it's like 158 questions. And uh, okay. question seventy, question seventy four was how would you infa- how would you feel if we invaded another country? <laughs> what the Scientologists invade or the yeah, government? Yeah, that, that was no, in the, the personality test. Like, now they they could have like to me that was around the time of the Iraq illegal war, like that kind of uh, um, feeling was in the air. A lot of protests about uh, did they have weapons of mass destruction? Is it justified? Blah blah blah. But there's also an element of uh, if we invaded a country. <laughs> would you be okay cracking wise with people to feel comfortable on the plane? <laughs> or would you think that was a bit much? Because like, I think there is, like, I mean, base questions followed by red flags where they know they can hook people. I get right. Well, let's let's start off by asking one another and trying to answer honestly in the, in the way of Scientology. Have you or have you ever been a Scientologist? No. Do you want to be one? No. Okay. Uh, I'm going to answer the sa- exactly the same as you to both of those questions. So let's uh, let's kick the fuck out of these people then, Rick, because they are bullies and I'm under five foot tall. I don't like bullies. Let's go. Because <laughs> these people okay. fucked me right off. Yeah, they are I mean, pro- ridiculous. Proper. I, I was getting angry. Then I started getting paranoid. And then I started wondering, have I had any involvement with Scientology? Now, I used to work in... Uh, London. I worked on Tottenham Court Road and one of their recruitment centres, I think their main one for London is on the Tottenham Court Road and it just happens to be next door almost to the Kentucky Fried Chicken which as we all know is what I eat on a Wednesday. <laughs> he needs a regiment does Matt that's, that's, what, that's what every ex-druggie needs is a fucking regiment. You need a system Rick, if you don't have a system society breaks down. So I would constantly walk past their office and they would always say they'd be outside selling books and or have, if you didn't want to buy it, they'd give it to you for free. And they'd go, come in, do a personality test. I was like, look, did, you're catching me at the wrong moment of lunch. You want to catch me after lunch. That's when you want to get me. And But I never went in there. But I was always interested because a lot of what Scientology offers, I believe in. They, they have some fascinating techniques, but to go to the root of it, we have to talk about L. Ron Hubbard, the grandfather of it all. He started it all. Now, he was a pulp science fiction writer yep. who wrote more than anyone else. So he wrote more science fiction <laughs> than anyone that ever wrote science fiction, and he got paid a penny a word. Penny a word, but not just more science fiction. He's credited in the Guinness Book of Records of writing more books than any other person on planet Earth. He never even spell-checked anything. Like He just wrapped it out. What used to happen is, because like this is before, uh, and I'm literally just going to parrot the Behind the Bastards podcast, because I've got two sources of info on right, this other okay. than South Park. And basically... <laughs> um, We've now got a new cartoon to reference. <laughs> Simpsons have taken this taken us this far but come Scientology we need a bigger badder ass cartoon yeah and uh, so <laughs> what they would do is they would give him a cover 
in a title and have a guy wait outside while he typed up the story yeah. for the book. And he would rattle it all out, all all this stuff. And he wrote one book, which he called Escalibur, which he claimed everyone who read it killed themselves. That's one of like L. Ron Hubbard's wow. famous claims. Everyone who read the book Excalibur killed themselves. And interestingly enough, I just heard last night that in L. Ron Hubbard's final days, he tried to make that as a movie. <laughs> but he literally claims that the publisher read the book, put the book down on his desk, and then jumped out of his window. What, because it had so many truths in it or because it was so terrible or... It just, the human mind wasn't ready for it. And so basically... um, (laughs) The human mind created it, but it wasn't ready for it. Okay. He is on record many times saying the only way to make some real money is to make it your own religion because there is you can get tax exam status, which is a huge part of Scientology. The tax exam thing is massive. Um, Absolutely massive. Well, the documentary starts with a statement and right from the off, you know, this is going to be a little bit combative, right? And the statement is stating that the Church of Scientology was not given adequate opportunity to comment on the allegations which are made in the documentary, because therefore stating that everything in the documentary is just alleged. Yeah, 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 but... And it was all alleged by discredited members of the church, so they're not going to say anything nice. Simple as that. I'm glad that you're kind of on the same wavelength as me because we have heard a few documentaries where you go, well, they could just be saying that. I think it was Gypsy Rose's granddad that was the problem, Where at least on this one, because you get the disclaimer, which, again, is very triggering for South Park. Um, so you have the thing, don't worry, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it should not be viewed by anyone. And then, and then the two-hour documentary is literally discrediting their disclaimer. Because you see every reason yeah. why, of course, they would but, say that. But don't forget that there's a good point you made there because we are normally we are normally at, at different ends of the spectrum. I did keep going through this one, but yeah, that's the way the documentary makes you want to look at it. And then as you come to the end and the people it's interviewing, the passion is the, they're not lying. I got some interest. You get that feeling and you buy into it. But throughout, I was like, well, hang on. We're only getting one side of the argument here. I want to hear someone who's in the church, but the more you hear about it, you're not going to get anyone in the church to talk about it, are you? That's that that's clear, right? Because the church is it's incredibly scary. So, uh, so just quickly, because I just found this hilarious, the stuff I learned on Elron Hubbard. So, his first, he had like three wives, remarried during those yeah uh, things. He was part of a sex cult trying to make an antichrist that followed Alistair Crowley. Yeah. He left with that guy's girlfriend. Yeah. They had a baby. She wanted to leave him, so he kidnapped the baby. <laughs> went to, went to Cuba. Took it to Cuba. Yeah. Yeah. Um, went, took it to Cuba. Give the baby to people that were mentally deficient to look after a child who kept the baby in a cage. Um, and then kept calling the mother saying how he had killed the baby yeah. and then ring back up and go, I haven't killed the baby. But then in the podcast I listened to, to the mother, if she signed a statement that said, I didn't kidnap the baby, you can have the kidnap baby back. <laughs> 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 so <he made> a... <laughs> but in, in the statement that she read out, since Elvon Hubbard's like this mental science fiction writer who would make up his own language... He, in the statement she signed to say that he never kidnapped the baby, 
there was language that L. Ron Hubbard had made up for his fiction novels that didn't exist. So clearly it was written by L. Ron Hubble. <laughs> so it was kind of like, this is a perfectly cromulent <laughs> way to look after a child. So this is episode, what we're going to be at, we'll be around episode Mid-20s. 32. No, it'll be, this will be in the, this will be in the, well, early or early 30s or, yeah. Anyway, right. They keep disappearing. Right. <laughs> One, four, this, seven. this one's going to be a cult about what happened to these ones. <laughs> this one's definitely going to disappear. Um, what we've learned by watching these documentaries is that the really interesting people are very much like L. Ron Hubbard. They're controlling, they're manipulative, they're scary, they're dangerous. They're not very nice to those people around them. They are so single-mindedly focused on their goal. They're just not very nice. And yeah. how many times have we seen this in a documentary? You're like, oh, this documentary is great. Look at the nut job. Sadly for us, what is classed as our entertainment is other people's misery. Because if none of these people existed, me and you'd just be sitting in a room now going, oh, chicken people. Oh, what a documentary. <laughs> one of us would be saying what a documentary. <laughs> so bored. To basically the eight people who they bring out, uh, they're, they're pretty nifty. One of them is called, and this is a genuine name, Spanky Taylor. Now, she was in charge of public relations, and she looks like the actress. Do you know the actress Diddy Con? No, what's she in? Well, she played Frenchie from the film Grease, word. Or, for my sci-fi chums, uh, she looks like Nana Vista, who played Kiris Nevis from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You're looking at me in the studio here going, are no, you a weirdo? I, I had to Because watch... all of those names, Spanky Taylor, Diddy Con, and Kiri Nevis, are all very unusual names. Was, and was they she all the look security like security guard in Deep Space yes, Nine? Yes, yes. Fuck that, yeah, I'm glad I got that one. Right, Jeez. well done. Okay, so I'm not so... So they all have really unique names, and they all look similar. So I'm just wondering, are they the same person? I always thought they were being somewhat... I, I felt that Quark had some kind of weird, deep-rooted anti-Semitism about them. There's something about the Ferengis that didn't sit right with me for how yeah. they were portrayed. <laughs> Very much, yeah. And also, their women had to wear no clothes. Oh, yeah, yeah, they treat them like shit, but just in general, yeah. to create this race where they just inverted a few negative stereotypes <laughs> of a certain religion. Money, money, money. Um, uh, now, again, speak very cl- carefully on that one, because <laughs> Scientology is a religion we can mock. Judaism is not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not going after the world's oldest religion. Um, and Now, the thing about Spanky Taylor, because she features... I wouldn't say heavily in it because no one features heavily in it apart from L. Ron Hubbard and the guy who replaced him. But basically, she is in charge of public relations and she joined a group within Scientology called the Sea Org. Oh, right. Now, L. Ron's mental. He was like doing Pirates of the Caribbean for his uni years and all sorts. And one of the times uh, they the Sea Org, which he gets a bunch of young women, to basically, he's because he's just minted. Uh, well, from his writing to to backtrack from the Dianetics. Dianetics became a bestseller. Yeah, for years it was a, a bestseller, and he was surprisingly enough wanted for tax evasion. So he wanted to be on the high seas, and he was on the high seas for eight years. He signed up to be in World War Two, 
and it transpired in World War II. He ended up becoming a captain of a ship and he was so bad, he got fired for incompetence. There's hilarious stories about him as a captain. So, like, he told them all these stories because he claims he was, like, raised by tribes and, like, pygmies and lived, like, off, off the land. He was captains of different naval fleets. And, like, he, apparently anyone he would meet, he could talk to for hours about these lies that he would claim that Be- he'd done. Because he was a storyteller. That's He's all he pat- was. A pathological liar well, is what he was. Well, that's the other way. Uh, but that's what a storyteller is. A storyteller is a great liar. There's a there's a cut-off point between someone who can be good crack and someone who, you know, builds a billion-pound religion on the shit he's in. But no one gives a Frank... Was it Frank Herbert who wrote Dune? No one gives him shit. Or Ian Banks for the worlds they created because they didn't treat people like shit. That's yeah, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. That's the difference. But, but like, in the army... Pistol whipped his wife. Hmm. Pistol whip. <laughs> the reason... The reason he pistol whipped his wife shows you about how bad this person was, Elron Hubbard. So his wife apparently was smiling in her sleep. Yeah. So he smacked her along the head with a fucking magnum and said you were thinking about other men. And she just lived in fear yeah. for the fucking whole time they were together. But so they go to the Sea Org and yeah, he's at sea. But the documentary, so I I think the best way to do this is to go through it. So the first person we meet is Paul Haggis. Yes. He's a director. Do you know anything he's directed? Uh, I don't actually. No, no. No, I didn't check it out either. He was pretty discredited, the fact he was a Scientologist for me. Yeah. But so Paul Haggis is one of the ex-Scientologists. He was a Scientologist for 35 years. Yeah. And um, so he gets into it. And the way he got into it is he went to do a personality test above a Woolworths in Canada. Yep. And they said, uh, so what's your main problem? He goes, I'm in love with a woman. I've got problems. And I went, I can help you with that. Bring her here tomorrow. And we signed up immediately. And I can't just have it. The, the, the relationships I've had slip through my fingers are not working out or, do you know what I mean, problems you'd have. The idea of taking them to Scientology to fix it <laughs> fascinates me. Where are we going, Rick? Shut up. Get in the car. I've, I've got mates that were literally, literally, I've got a mate out in Turkey right now. I dated a lassie met on holiday and he is literally hiring like a Chrysler BMW, like the airing top top of the range car to kind of fool her into how successful he is. <laughs> but that compared to like hold these two tin cans and talk about <laughs> your past lives. Because <laughs> one of the one of the things they do to all Scientologists is they interview you and they just ask you to discuss your life. Like, and it's a form of therapy. So, well, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Tell us your secrets. Tell us your secrets. Which, which, Unburden which yourself to us. Yeah. We'll carry which those is, That's the endorphin. Yeah. Every every cult you'll find has an endorphin somewhere that goes, wow, this is it. Yeah. And for me, this is people who wouldn't go to therapy getting that lift off their chest of therapy, yes. like, letting all those bad fucking feelings out yeah. or fucking airing grievances. And and then like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And the, what it is, you've got two like tin cans on a bit of string. You hold them and they've got like what looks like a radiation meter, a Geiger counter. A Geiger counter, yeah. And every time they go, and I was having sex with this woman and they go, oh, yep, it pinged, how big's your dick? Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, okay, let's talk about that now. Okay, so who was your best friend at school? Did you fancy him? No. Are you sure? Hmm. Oh, it pinged. Mm-hmm. It pinged. No. It pinged. It pinged. 
Okay, how big do you think his willy was? And then they write all well, everything that you say in these get written down. Yeah. So basically, if you ever leave Scientology, they have what's called a black PR package put against you. So they then release all your embarrassing information, yeah. which is a huge, huge factor for things like you know Tom Cruise, uh, John, John Travolta, Travolta, another big guy who was involved but, in but it. But just to I was point out, it, it's not classed as blackmail. Because, and as L. Ron Hubbard states, it's not blackmail if you don't ask for money. Yeah, they are. They- so all they say is, you stay in the church or we fuck your life up by telling everyone what you know. And the thing is, it's all about getting to the next level. So they say when you're this, when you're that. And then when you get to a certain level, everyone will, put, again, probably from South Park or like comedy references or just in the mainstream culture, of what the crazy part of Scientology is, which again, you stack it up against other religions. It's, you know, it's just someone modern wrote it. Yes. There is a, there's a great Bill Burr talks about it. The only difference of Scientology is that we know the person who came up with it and go, nah, he's got Ming and teeth and he's mental. We don't know the people who wrote the other books that everyone else believes in yeah. as the systemic. So there is an interesting, you know, counterbalance of what actually is a religion yeah. in there. So, um, and here's what I thought about the other religions. I'm reasonably fascinated by religion. The other religions, to me, they operate at a net net. So, which means all of their positive influences are cancelled out by all of the negative shit that they do. So, if you think of all the great stuff that Christianity has done, and it has done some amazing things to help people, right? It really has. And people who have got faith, I, I've seen it keep people alive with faith. Just I, I work hmm. in a hospice and it's amazing. But... You work in a hospice? Yeah, I volunteer in a hospice. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Is, it, is that just so you can see other people die on their yeah. ass? <laughs> that's exactly why. Yeah, yeah. Because I was, I was too happy. I needed to be brought this down is, a bit. This is or, you're, you're like Helena Bonham Carter in Fight Club. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's, you're going to the cancer chats and just being yes, like, <laughs> exactly that, right? Because I need something in my life to go. Hang on a second. I'm taking like, life way too seriously. I get upset if a joke doesn't land. Whereas I've just watched did, a woman die. So you're like, you're chill the fuck out, Wills. You're an idiot. Did, did you see how I got insecure that you do something way nicer than I do, so I had to take you back down to my level? <laughs> yeah, but hang on. The, the, the only reason I do it is so I can mention it. <laughs> Give hey, me kudos. Give me kudos. I have, I have one friend that I hung out with whilst you was ill. I still fucking talk like I'm Mother Teresa. <laughs> when I happen to drop it in conversation every 35 fucking seconds. I'm a, you're right. I am a hero, Rick. But let's not get into that now. <laughs> right. um, Hit the so, coffee button, guys. Come on. Wait. Look at this guy I'm working with over here. Uh, so I, I think religions cancel one another out, right? So if you if you take uh, being a Muslim, is like the ISIS people, they're not very nice. Okay? And that cancels out all of the good work that the Muslim community do. I, so I think they operate at... I think they <laughs> Sorry, operate what, at... Timestamp 32 <laughs> minutes so we can make a fucking edit right there. No, Jesus. I mean, Judaism, should they control the media? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it... So they operate at net-net, right? So they're good, cancels out, they're bad. So they're at right, zero. If we're, if we're going to talk about religion, Catholicism and paedophiles is the oh, yeah, safe well, that's, ground. Yeah, as, as... That's Christianity, right? So... But look at all the people they help get sober. I mean, that's fantastic. That's some great work there. 
Whereas, yeah, they do fuck kids. So, you know, it, it, it all comes back to net zero. Whereas Scientology, it, it just seems like their bad deeds don't outweigh their good. So they don't, it doesn't balance out. So they're always in the deficit of bad because they are so bad. And the good, any good that they do, it's, it's not really mentioned in the documentary or in anything else I've looked at. All that you hear about Scientology is bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can tell, because we meet Jason Beagle, I think his name was. Yes. He's the crew cutter. I know you haven't seen the movie, Me, Myself and Irene, with Jim Carrey. No. But Jim Carrey plays a mild-mannered guy, soft-spoken, but then he's been treached shit for so long, he snaps and has a split personality, which is his aggressive side, Hank. Right. So Jim Carrey's like, oh, no, he's like, someone bumps into him. He's like, that's fine, sorry. And then he switches and goes, what are you looking at, fuck face? <laughs> and, his, and his gruff face. That sounds like his my gruff future. Voice <laughs> is ex- yeah, it's just something I'm very concerned with with you as well. But that his voice is exactly Hank from me, myself, and Irene. So I love hearing him talk. He's like, here, so. Yeah, so I, I'm going clear, man, motherfucker. You know, this. I, I went exterior. So what, what, what they do is you sit opposite a guy and they <laughs> <laughs> the thing i liked about so, jason Begg, right so he was a scientologist for 13 years he's an actor but and the the note i made on him here was damn he's got a sexy voice damn that voice it's it's the same it's the alex jones the globalists yeah. are coming yeah. for us it's it's that gruff uh gruff voice but then they explain certain aspects of scientology and you go do you know what for success professionally i get it yeah, I honestly, especially if you're going to a town like Hollywood. So if you're in Hollywood, and one of the main thing is recruit celebrities, recruit influencers. Yeah, and then you had like pictures of Leonard Cohen back in the day would hang out in the celebrity center they have for it. Yeah. So so what you'd do is you'd sit across someone and you'd practice confronting them, yelling at them, screaming at them, and you'd practice holding face and getting used to that. So when you go out into the real world, it's fucking nothing. Yeah. Conditioning. After doing like years of work at men's clubs and shitty open micers in London, when you go out to a theatre, comedy's a piece of piss. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like the idea of going to these um and just take it like it's building confidence. It is a bedrock of confidence, like yeah. the straight face. And that is what is the the allure for modern day Scientology and the community of people that support you. Yes. Because a lonely business with a lot of rejection in these places and everyone looks for their place, their own community. Plus the networking must be insane for it. I guarantee there's a few other Scientologists kicking around unnamed as sleeper cells. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But the, the sea org that they set up was kind of like the, um, that was the senior management team, right? Of, of, of Scientology. Now here's the contract you sign up for. (laughs) (laughs) Because, And, and this is insane. So the contract you sign up for is I contract myself to the sea organization for the next billion years. That that wouldn't work out for, for me. I, I struggle. 
I mean, at, at best, I've only signed up for a year on the Discussing Documentaries website, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> on Vodafone, I've committed at most 18 months on my phone contract. Me and my missus, yeah. the most we've ever committed to is a joint sofa. And that took us 10 years to make a decision. Scientology yeah, is not decades for Decades into relationships and not got a wedding in sight. I can understand we have yeah. commitment issues. But if Zeno comes back, you're going to be glad you signed that contract. <laughs> And the people who leave, so what? Paul Haggis was there for 35 years before he left. That means he's still got a billion years less 35 to go. And they're going to pull out this bit of paper. Uh, Mr. Haggis, I think you've found, oh, you committed. I'd love to see them in, in court, yeah, just in court being like, I'm sorry, Paul, you signed up to this shit. Off yeah. you but the, the weird thing is, you think a billion years sounded strange. How long is your soul in heaven from Christianity. That's eternity, a, right? That I, That's I, all the billions of years. So that's yeah, that's you, just as But that's silly. not a contract that you're doing work. That's that's well, a, that's a, a, a lifetime reward, which I do w- wonder about heaven a lot as a concept. I, I, no, hang on, hang on. Let me just... So you say it's reward. So, what, so say you do 70 years and then your reward is eternity. Of bliss, yeah. Like in in, in well, Christianic, you know, folklore, uh, for one for a better word. Like if you if you adhere to the commandments and blah 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 and whatever you need to do to get into heaven, then it's kind of like all your wildest dreams vaguely are true, yeah. And everyone's own interpretation of that. The same as like you know, suicide bombers think they're gonna get seventy-one virgins and this and that and whatever Jewish. We only know certain bits of heaven yes, for different I, religions I guess so. and stuff. And then, yeah, yeah. and then you have the fear of hell, which is also that's that's the thing of you have you go this place or that place when you get judged. The, the one I quite so this fancy. is this is a contract to work for fucking L. Ron Hubbard <laughs> for twenty pence a week yeah. for a billion years. This is a difference. The, the, I, I quite fancy Valhalla because you get to sit in a. In a food hall, basically eating food and drinking beer with Odin, and four. I'm in. Nah, I've been. Sign I've been up. to the London Oktoberfest, and I would get pissed <laughs> off with those people. Is it because of the right. waitress service? Uh, the queues were ridiculous. All right. The and toilets. The queues to the toilets are going to be fucking minging. Anything forever would be seeing but I just yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought lockdown would be great, and the first five months I was sailing along. Month six, I was like, okay, I might need to leave the house now. I'm really, I'm starting to buckle. Spanky thought that Scientologists, once you got to a certain level, you had superpowers. You could move stuff with your fucking mind. Yeah. And all this kind of stuff. Do you know who would be handy going to Scientology? What's the honest liar that guy called? Oh, uh, the great Randini. The great Randall. I would be great if I had the great Randall going. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, talking. Yeah, and to get him to debunk Scientology. You're right. Well, they wouldn't let him in because he's gay. It would be handy for them to circle around the great Randini's house because he's got a circled house. His house is round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just keep on going round in circles yeah. while he's jumping out of libraries and putting handcuffs on them. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the um, Elrond Hubbard's, one of Elrond Hubbard's uh, sons killed themselves because they were gay. And homosexuality is actually one of the reasons that people manage to break away from the church as we get through the documentary, like people get declared suppressive people because in their scripture he says it's like a mental defect. That with is thetans. brutally sad. So take us through the right. Take us through your just lay out the science fiction side of Scientology. 
So it's all kind of about getting rid of these negative emotions. You're doing the therapy. You're yep. doing the um, what's the the thetan readings? What's what's it called? Auditing. You do auditing yeah. when they which is therapy when you hold. The tin cans, it's like, do you remember when as a kid, like in the 40s, you'd put like string between two yeah, yeah. cans and be like, hello. That's what, that's as, as technical as it looks attached to a Geiger counter. And then once you've paid in that much, then you go, right, you're clear of this. Start this next one. You've got to buy all the books and the courses. Yeah. Then when you get to a certain level, which is OTR3, and they say like, by this point, you're in there by like 150 Gs. Because <laughs> uh, it's an insane then, pyramid scheme where you never get paid out. So you invest yeah, in yeah. to get to the next. It's do you know what it is? It's like a big version of Donkey Kong, but you have to pay to get to the next level. You don't have to sit there like Steve Weeby and just keep practicing. You got to and, buy and your what, way up. Yeah, yeah. So you you buy your way in, and also that locks you in further because you've like you know you, you've you you literally cut out now and waste all your money and lose all this community yeah. because you know how people who leave get threatened and all this kind of stuff. Then you get to like X amount in like fucking mortgage your house to buy the next yes. book. Yeah, and the yeah. next book is explains um that basically uh seventy two million years ago uh <laughs> the world and you can tell he's a lazy science fiction writer. It was a world much like this world. <laughs> people People wore clothes very much similar to what we wear now. Um, what sort of cars and did they drive, Rick? Very similar to today's cars. Um, You're right, that to me, so it's the, fucking lazy. It's the equivalent of, I once did, there was the weirdest gig I ever did. Uh, great guys no longer with us booked us to do, um, it was his own show, and he was interviewing Brian Blessed at the end. Wow. And he was involved in amateur dramatics and things. So he had an amateur troupe on before me doing a modern day adaptation of like Shakespeare. And the mayor of Basingstoke was in the front row next to Brian Blessed. And then I went out before the Brian Blessed interview to do like 15, 20. So it was it was a fun gig. I got to talk about shit areas of Basingstoke to the mayor of Basingstoke to see if he would laugh and get him in bother. <laughs> But the the turning point of the gig was when I talked about how they did a, a modern-day adaptation of Shakespeare, and I basically said, so you just couldn't be asked to make the costumes. And I didn't realize the crowd was the, the actors and their parents because they were teenagers. So they just went from, oh, you're good, to we don't like you anymore, very fucking quickly. And I had Brian Bressard staring at me in the front row was uh, a weird one. So your quick whips to make you feel comfortable, as the Scientologist would put it, didn't make you feel yeah. that comfortable. Uh, after the show, uh, Brian Blessed came into a canteen, the canteen area where I was sitting in, uh, I think it's the Anvil in Basingstoke. The oh, theater. right. Yeah, yeah. And um, he came and goes, you have the gift. And I almost <laughs> went, go on, you, you can knock that off now, Brian. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a picture of me on my Facebook talking to Brian and I'm like squinting going, come on, don't treat me like the Roops. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the biz, Brian. You're okay. I'm one yeah, of your yeah, own. But no, it's all right. But that was it, one of the most fascinating interviews I've ever seen because the guy was like, he was another Brian Blessed. He was like, he could do a speech for hours himself. Nice. I loved him. Um, but him interviewing him was just, a, it was something that will never be replicated, but it was a fond memory. But I, there's a picture. If you go on my Facebook, it was one of my profile picture. It's me just squinting at Brian Blessed going, Come on, you can give it a rest now, fella. <laughs> the cameras. You're not on QI now, son. It's okay. You, you need open spots in business, talk, mate. Let's just <laughs> let's dial it back a bit. You're on the same bit as the Watson. Let's get some balance in your life. 
So you don't realize how popular Scientology is until you see their galas, I thought was fascinating. It was like an dictator award ceremony yeah. is what they look like. So they got these huge fucking platforms, mass, like the biggest. You don't see Michael Jackson on a stage this big. Yeah. And Jackson had the weird thing of my stage has to be bigger than anyone else's because... Oh, really? Then I... Yeah, it's a psychological thing that um, my stage has to be bigger than anyone else's because I they, I want them to perceive me as the biggest superstar. Uh, the wrestling war, WWF versus WCW, WWF has the biggest ring in wrestling. So when people go and see a live show, they go, this looks a bit shitty. Although the ring, the wrestlers hate because it's harder to jump from rope to rope and all that kind of stuff. So it's all a perception thing. Oh, wow. And like Hitler, if you watch the fucking, you know, the Hitler waving at all yeah, the troops yeah. there, there's massive. Uh, Kim Jong-un, when you see the size of their stuff in North Korea, is absolutely insane-sized stages, platforms. It's all dictatory. It's like a dic- the Oscars for dictators is what these galas look like. Because they did say, didn't they? They said they're using the iconography of uh, Nazis and of ancient Rome, and they had all of this stuff on the stage, which is all about controlling the people. Yep. Yeah. And, and the image and, and stuff. Yeah, whenever you join a religion going, yeah, we just use the Nazi iconography because that really caught on. Like, you just, it makes you second guess what you're joining, surely. But I, I, sorry, back to what we were saying about, so L. Ron Hubbard says, we lived in a time, blah, 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 all same clothes, si- similar things. And it was ruled by a, a galactic, intergalactic dictator. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Who who ruled with an iron fist, uh, and what he would do is <laughs> he would fly prisoners in planes very similar to the Boeing 4- 747s that we have today, very similar model. <laughs> but the spaceship uh, model. Yeah, it's funny they didn't have the internet then, but we do now. Um, but they wouldn't fly them like in economy class, though. What they would do no, is they would they fly would them to them. intergalactic. They would drug them and put them in a coffin. Yeah, I freeze them. them. Yeah, freeze them. That freeze them to an intergalactic space prison yeah. where they would drop them in. And then I think the residue, and now I'm guessing because it was too much to jot down. And it's kind of the residue of that is thetans, which fly into the atmosphere. Uh, uh, hang on. No. So what they did is they went to the prison planet, which. Oh, he's OT2. <laughs> All right, let's go. They went to the prison planet, which conveniently is planet Earth. And what they did over planet Earth 75 million years ago is they would drop all of these coffins with all of these frozen bodies into volcanoes. And because the bodies were frozen, what would happen is they would hit the volcanoes, they would defrost, it would destroy the body, but it would release the soul of the prisoner and that would then roam the Earth. And that is called a fetan. I mean, it's incredible yep. sci-fi. I'm a big sci-fi fan, right? And this is fascinating. This was in a film. You'd be like, yeah, fucking hell, that sounds brilliant. It is in a film. Oh, there you it's, go. It's his, it's his life's work. Um, his biggest tank in box office history, even though all... Oh, Battlefield Earth. Battlefield Earth is uh, L. Ron Hubbard's writing. Of course it is. John Travolta. Of course it is. I've, yeah, I'm yeah. going to watch that movie now, but I remember saying this is the worst movie ever. I didn't realize it was like L. Ron Hubbard's like... Call to you know, arms, basically. Masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, and they show footage, which is weird things to stick with you. So they show footage of a newborn baby being born and these like Tinkerbell fairies flying into his yeah. chest. <laughs> <laughs> so basically when you're born as a human being, you're then invaded by the souls 
What did the L stand for in Elrond? I'm not sure, but I want to guess Leopold, but I'm not sure. Oh, he looked like a I Leopold. Doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, in essence, so, so that's sure? religion, then- right? And what, what you do is, your, your job as a Scientologist is then to get rid of the Fetans that invaded you as a baby. So you go clear. So you go now clear. they have great, even the people who have left have great pride in the fact they went clear. Yeah. Because there's a woman who gets to that level of OT3 when you get told the, the you know, the Xenu warrior princess stuff. Yeah. That um, <laughs> she's like, how have I got these Thetans? I'm clear for God's sake. I'm clear. Yeah. And, it, and again, so it hasn't really hit them that that... Um, but, it, but it's a brainwashing cult. You, you know what else is a brainwashing is. cult that that we all throw money at and the people with the most money win, which is effectively... I know when you start a sentence for this cadence, I normally disagree at the end of it, but hit me with it there, Matt. Um, it, football. Football? Football is no different from Scientology. We're all mugged off into it. No, we're, we're better than you. Your, your team chucks more money at it than them, so they get further along. A bit like in Scientology, right? The more you chuck at it, the higher up the organisation you go. The more a football team chucks at buying more players, the higher up the, the league they go. But the funny thing is, the higher up you go, the worse you get. So on the Sea Org, make no mistake, L. Ron Hubbard was mentally ill and he was super paranoid yeah. of everyone. So he would just decide that people needed to be thrown off the ship. Yes, and then they would chuck the rubber dinghy out and pick them back up again. So he was making people walk the plank in his own mental sea navy. Yeah. They um Well that's the break their that's the break their spirit. Right? Because when you break their spirit, they will then be compliant to you. Yeah. They were working twenty hour days, four hours sleep. Yeah. All this stuff. But the interesting thing that's left off the documentary is uh Elron, uh his all his lieutenants were twelve year old girls. So that they were completely complicit, and I forget what they're called, like truth tellers or something, but basically like the Hitler youth. And you'd walk along, and it was up to them if someone was being a suppressive person. So you're at the mercy of a 12-year-old brainwashed girl of this or that. Like, and then you'd be punished accordingly to them. So they like you're like a 35-year-old man who spent 200K getting into this organization, <laughs> being told by some girl fucking blowing bubblegum, God, he needs to be thrown off the balcony. <laughs> So it's all insanity. It's all Lord of the Flies at sea. It is Lord, yeah, and it's insane, right? And then, but everyone they interviewed, so from Paul Haggis, thirty-five years, Jason Begg, thirteen years, Spanky Taylor, seventeen years. These people are intelligent, competent adults, and they're all sitting there telling you this stuff, and they're all surprised that they got taken in. But this, again, this comes back to the great Randy, right? You can trick anyone, especially intelligent people. It's the endorphin. Like, if imagine taking away a lack of confidence and uncertainty. That is powerful. And you see how how it's weaponized within them when they they continue going. Mate, you haven't got to tell me. I played Burton on Trent. That audience destroyed me. It took me about eight months to get over that. Was that the brewery? Yeah. And oh, they yeah. absolutely destroyed me. And that it killed me. It absolutely killed me because they, they basically said in their silence, we don't like you, you're shit, your dad was right. Every negative thing you've ever heard is true. Now, fuck off. 
and it's horrible, wow. right? And to be given that on a daily basis, that was my version of doing Burton on Trent every day for two years. I'll sign whatever you want me to sign. Just get me out of this, for Christ's sake. Scientology is basically, it is the comedy circuit when you're first starting out. You've got to pay in all of this money just to go up the different levels, which none of it means anything, right? Yeah. And then you get to MC level and you realise there's only a certain amount of women allowed to be on the bill. And you're like, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> what? I have to, I don't want to be racist. you got to be racist. You're in the north. I don't want to be. Just- it's it's just wonderful to be doing comedy nights. They don't have the words and curry attached to it. <laughs> right, well, tell me this then, Rick. Who does L. Ron Hubbard look like? Because every time I popped on, I'm like, oh, I can't find it. Who the hell does he look like? Because he looks British for a start because he's got the bad uh, teeth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, do you know what? He looks, to me, he looks like he's got shark's teeth. He looks like he has two sets of teeth behind each other yeah 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 the, the front row and being I, incredibly black to, to match his soul and towards the end he had he had the emo phillips hair but i've got not got a look like because they don't let people that minging on tv maybe he's john mccarrick do you know the old racing guy who wears all the glasses and the chains a bit of him i, I couldn't work it out and i was like ah oh, rick will know Rick will know who he looks like it's his voice is very much like today they will do this men and that you need to be thrown overboard. I, I like the way he smoked. <laughs> and basically, he had free ships. He created his own navy. He went on the run yeah. from America. For, for tax exemption. And uh, Granada TV uh, tracked him down, which I believe is ITV Granada. Well, it was, um, it was before they nationalised. Yeah, it was ITV for, the, I think it was the Midlands Granada. I think. Right. And... Um, so they get a meeting with him, and again, some of the stuff he says, you don't realise is how sensitive it goes. Goes, uh, so you have a, a dedicated following that would do anything. Goes, you wouldn't think they were so dedicated every time they get their orders wrong. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you know that he just chucks random people in the sea for being suppressive for going. I don't know if we need to be going to this country. So they're going to a, a country, and well, they went round the sorry, they went round the Mediterranean. Yeah, and Pan- it was a Granada TV tracked him down. And this was in the early days of it. So this was 1968. This was, It was just getting started and he was treating people like shit because he knew that's how you control people, right? And yeah, they basically, he went on the run for because he didn't want to pay tax and he went around the Mediterranean and eventually all the Mediterranean ports started closing their doors because they were like, you're not coming back here, mate. You're a nut nut and you don't pay your bills. So you know, do one. So he had to go back to the States where he spent the rest of his life in hiding, avoiding the IRS to pay tax. Yeah. I mean, they they had all these like mad, um, what's it called? They had all these disguises for him the whole time. It's funny. There's a story I heard yesterday where they, they pull up in Cuba and they have a fake shell corporation trying to buy, um, buildings, right? And the mate, then the and they they said it was weird because they had two point five million pounds in cash to pay for it. I bet they and did. they, um, yeah, and so they had some questions about it. So they the mayor questioned them. So they had actresses go to a town hall meeting and just jump up and say that the mayor had sexually assaulted them. So even then, they're doing the squirrel buster and stuff like that. And that was Scientology, right? So. Effectively, Elrond came up with a thing where he said, 
if anyone doesn't do what you're asking them to do, attack them and just keep attacking them. They're, they're labeled fair game and anything you do to someone who's fair game is legal in our eyes. Yeah. And the funny thing is, so he went for a haircut in Cuba and the guy who's cutting his hair happened to mention he's a science fiction fan and L. Ron Hubbard's hubris has to tell them that he's a science fiction writer, L. Ron Hubbard, so you can show off. <laughs> he decides, shit, I shouldn't have told the barber that and decided that to leave Cuba. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a great quote Scientology was selling get getting high without the drugs. That's what Scientology gave you. You would yeah. you would get there. It's what you said, right? It was that endorphin hit, but but without the fun bit of doing the drug. It was therapy. It, it, it was signing up for super expensive therapy in an army. The army therapy is a good way I would describe it. Yeah, and uh, so. So, yeah, so that's pretty much all of L. Ron Hubbard. And to be fair, we've done, this is going to be a few partner because we've done about five minutes worth of the documentary. Yeah. Uh, as we're going on now. Because it's just fascinating. And this is why it's won so much. Do you know what I mean? It's, yes. You've had like an hour's worth of talking points within the first 10, 10 minutes. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,